everyone. This is Rena Kinsey, Executive Vice President of People and Culture at Emerald and Advertising Week. On today's episode, I speak to Sarah Engel. She's the president of January Digital and January Consulting, a marketing leadership company. Sarah assumed the role of president after leading as a chief marketing officer and chief people officer at the company. Prior to January Digital, Sarah guided the heritage fashion brand Lily Pulitzer as the vice president of marketing and creative communications. She has served in leadership roles across brands, retail technology, and agencies throughout her career. Sarah serves as a board member and strategic advisor to leading industry organizations such as Shop Talk and Grocery Shop. She's on the advisory board of the jewelry company Rebel Nell, which is a women-owned certified social enterprise. Sarah also serves on the board of LSH, a nonprofit community-based social service organization that serves 14,000 women, men, and children each year in Philadelphia. The focus is supporting domestic violence survivors and families experiencing homelessness. In addition, Sarah is a passionate mentor who advocates for rising stars in the digital, media, and retail industries. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Sarah, I know you're incredibly passionate about mentorship and know the values of mentorship. Can you share a personal story or experience where mentorship or sponsorship played a significant role in your career development? Absolutely. Again, thank you so much for having me. I um, This podcast has been phenomenal. I've loved every episode and I'm really honored to be included. Um, in terms of my own personal experience with mentorship, I've had the great benefit to have a few strong mentors and, and even champions in my career. So, I mean, first, just to say I have so much gratitude for their time and expertise and their knowledge that they shared with me. I can look at some of the outcomes. I think the farther I get in my career, I look at the outcomes and you realize how you can track those right back to key mentors. So for an example, I was shifting into an executive role at a company. I had questions about what I could ask, where I could push in terms of compensation package, in terms of equity. I was able to really tap into a mentor who I had had um, over time, who was who has a phenomenal legal background, phenomenal business acumen, and they gave me the really specific aspects to consider, specific areas where I could and should negotiate. So I look at that outcome. The outcome was not only a stronger package, a stronger you know financial security for me and my family, but it also established the strength of my negotiation skills and the resourcefulness um, during this you know heading into a new role and during an interview process. So I think about outcomes like that and outsized impact that it had, and you can really kind of see what where those outcomes are from. I would I would also say as my career has progressed, two other things became very evident to me. One is that having a close group of truth tellers and professional confidants is really key to considering what is the next best step. So over the years, you kind of determine, you know, as you work in different organizations and you have a broader network, you decide who those really amazing people are, those truth tellers, the people that will really give freely of their advice and perspectives. You, for me, I worked really hard to keep them close, to support them when they needed support, to make the introductions when they were looking for a new role. You use each other as a sounding board. So that's, you know, beyond mentorship, one thing that I think has really evolved over time and takes a different form of mentorship. The other aspect is that I'd mentioned you sometimes don't even see 
the impact in the moment, but your sponsors, your advocates, the people who are really speaking your name when you're not in the room are often the highest source of development and support. So seek those people, thank those people when you know that it's happened. You often don't even know it's happened and it has this positive outcome that you then see in the rearview mirror and realize um, how much somebody advocated for you and just make sure that you pay it forward um, as you become that person in your own career that you're really paying that forward for others. I love that. And we you, we mentioned mentorship and sponsorship. I think we talked a little bit about being an advocate. Can you let us know how you look at mentorship versus sponsorship or advocacy and how that viewpoint has shifted throughout your career? Because there's a difference between being a mentor versus a sponsor. There's obviously being an advocate for people. Those are all different. Right. Yeah, it is, I think, a spectrum of um, support and mentorship. And I think people would sometimes define it slightly differently. So I'll kind of tell you my definition and and how I got to this definition. Um, For me, mentorship is generally that personal career-oriented guidance. I am offering you feedback. Um, You know, of course, there's also reverse mentorship. So it's like, you know, you're you're offering me feedback. I'm offering you feedback. We're, We're working on something that is very much a way to get you forward from a career perspective. Then you look at championship, and that's often related to organizational goals, initiatives, somebody to champion you. Okay, there is this really big project, and I know that Danielle's phenomenal at that, and I'm going to make sure to mention and bring her into this project. I'm really going to be a champion for her and her skill set, as an example. And then I look at advocacy or sponsorship, it has a bit of a broader kind of industry impact or societal impact even. It, it often extends beyond an organization. So an example that I would use, um, not, not too long ago, a few years ago, I was asked to do a media interview and um, I asked who else they were interviewing. They told me the answer to that question and I said, okay, in that case, if you're only going to interview one person and this is the t- topic of that story and it was really around underrepresented communities and women in underrepresented communities, I'm not your expert. Let me introduce you to these four people who are the experts and have that lived experience. Let me introduce you. And so I think that sometimes advocacy or, or you know, sponsorship, it goes a little bit further to say, yes, I'm going to speak this person's name in their, when they're not in the room. I'm also going to actively ensure that I'm advocating for them, introducing them, taking an action that has a broader impact for them and, and for the people on the other, other end of that you know, conversation. So that's kind of how I would look at that. It has changed for me over time. I will certainly say um, part of that is years in career and uh, I suppose moving into more executive roles. Um, some of that is honestly an impact of, of COVID and, and the reality of people being remote officed. And I, I had a very distinct understanding at certain points over the last few years that you're often in a room where decisions are being made and it is your responsibility to bring people along with you. It is your responsibility to speak the name of the true experts. You know, the true experts are often the not the people in that room making decisions. And without broader viewpoints, an organization cannot be successful. And so I think that that's evolved for me personally, as again, as I looked back and realized, oh, I had this sponsor or this champion who really made a huge impact on my career. And I might not have even known it at the time. Later, you come to find out, oh, that was mentioned in this meeting that I wasn't a part of, or it was mentioned in an email string with somebody and an introduction happened and I didn't even know where it came from. You, you a lot of times can only see that, see that in the rearview mirror. So as I came to really realize that, I was like, this is my responsibility. 
um, and you know, to, to do that and to model that behavior as, as any up and coming leaders in an organization can kind of see that that is how we, how we interact and how we model that behavior. I think that's a really important point. I mean, being able to, once you are invited somewhere, being able to recognize that you are not the subject matter expert, or you're not the person who really deserves a table to be able to speak about it. And instead of leveraging that opportunity for yourself, saying, hold on a second, I'm not the best person for this. Here are some people who are and advocating for them in that sense. I think that's a wonderful distinction. Thank you for kind of summarizing that. You're absolutely right. And also there's so much respect. If the first time you do something like that, recognizing by saying, oh, that I, this is my area of expertise over here. There is somebody else who is an expert on this subject. Let me introduce you. It actually builds so much credibility to just be very clear on, here's what I'm great at, and I'm not taking anything away from myself in that process, but let me introduce you to the people who are really great in this way. It creates connections, it builds your network, and there's just a lot of authenticity on saying, I'm not an expert on everything. Let me make sure I bring the right people into the room. I love that. And was that perspective, point of view, something that you learned along your career, or like, how did you find your own mentors? Oh, and you know, I think with my own mentors, it... Early on, there were certainly some folks who offered advice, offered perspective, and then I kind of leaned into that. Like, oh, you offered this kind of in passing. Would it be okay if we meet on a monthly basis? You know, leaned into it. Over time, I actually developed kind of a way in which I went about it and a way I've often shared with others to go about it, which is I would be very, first of all, I would look for a person, an individual in an organization, in a different organization who had a very specific skill set that I did not have. If I uh, needed to really, you know, get deeper into financial implications and understand the P&L in a deeper way, let me go talk to somebody who's a finance expert who lives and breathes the P&L, maybe who's been in a startup environment before these pieces that maybe weren't a, a part of my experience in the past. So I would seek out people who have very different backgrounds. I would then be very explicit in my request. So as opposed to early on, I would kind of just, oh, do you mind if we meet? I'd be very explicit. I would love to, you know, to have a mentor, you know, situation and relationship with you. This is what I mean by that. What I'm really asking is that we meet one time a month or one time a quarter. And this is what I can bring to the table. I can offer this information, this feedback, this experience that I have. What I'm really asking is for this experience or for you to review something or for me to bounce ideas off of you. But I was very explicit in the parameters. What I have found is most you know, busy executives want to help everybody around them. They also have a very finite amount of time and, and their schedule is very booked. So being very clear in that request, it I think it shows a lot of respect for their um, time and capacity to, to be able to take on something like that. But it also gives them a very clear way to say, this isn't something I can take on right now, which you would rather know. You would rather know like, oh, this is not, you know, for whatever reason, this isn't an option for them right now. I'd rather know that up front and just be very clear about it. Everybody's very clear on the expectations. That has served me incredibly well. I certainly have had um, folks do the same thing with me and ask me to, to be a mentor. And if they didn't approach it that way, I would come back to them and say, oh, let's talk about, you know, I would love to consider this. Let's talk about the parameters. What do you really mean by that? How much time does, do you need? And I always word it as, I would never want to overpromise and underdeliver. I would never want, you know, never want to say yes and then not be able to give you the focused and present attention that you need. So let's determine what the parameters are. That has worked incredibly well. Um, I've rarely had somebody say no if you establish it in that way. But again, even if somebody can't or, or says no for whatever reason, at least you know that up front and you can go, okay, 
who else has this expertise that I could go talk to? I think you make a really good point by saying it could be once a month or once a quarter, because a lot of the times people always think that mentorship programs or being a mentor, being a mentee is very time consuming. And just thinking of it as like one hour a month dedication feels like, okay, this is doable, especially if you approach it in a structured way, if you have goals about what you want to get out of each session. So it doesn't have to be a full program where you meet a couple of times of the month, have add more meetings on your calendar, which we all know we have way too many meetings on our calendar. So what you're saying is it could still be as effective meeting once a month or meeting once a quarter. Absolutely. And with a clear remit, we have an agenda. We, we know that we're working towards something. We talk about this month something I'm really going to work on in the next month. And then I come back and I share that information with you. I send you a pre-read. I mean, treat it like you would treat an executive meeting, you know, and make sure that that, that person has the ability to, you know, offer in the hour that maybe you have to spend together, whether that's, you know, on a monthly basis, a quarterly basis, or more often that they are set up to be able for you to be able to glean the most information that is the most helpful to you. Um, and vice versa, they, that you may have something to offer them or a perspective to offer that they want to communicate to you as well. So absolutely. And in the absence of having a formal mentorship program in an organization, many don't. This is something that I think is incredibly important for us to teach incoming talent. You know, as employees come into an organization, as we talk with people in the industry outside of our organizations, to say to them, here's a structure by which you can go about finding a mentor, and here's how you can specifically ask for this type of help and assistance. Um, the, the mentality, and I see this a lot um, with women, I see this a lot in kind of underrepresented communities in our industry is, I just assume somebody will see that I'm doing a good job and help me. That that assumption, um, and, and I know we've all done it uh, in our careers. I, I assume that they'll see and they'll really reward me. And I assume that they'll be, you know, they'll think of me when that project comes up. Sometimes you need to ask. And in fact, the more you are clear with those requests, the more you are clear in communicating what your value is and what your request is in return, the more help you're going to receive. And so I just really feel strongly about teaching people how to self-advocate. I could not agree with you more. I think a lot of people always assume that people are always thinking about your your career as well as their own, but the most effective way of getting things done for yourself is to ask for it. I actually did not realize how important that was until I read a book called Ask For It. And I think that completely changed the way I viewed my career and having more of ownership of what I need to ask for, how I can advocate myself for myself, as opposed to assuming that people are going to pull me in when needed. Absolutely. I love that. In your experience, what is the impact of diversity in mentorship relationships and how can it benefit both the individual and the organization? I love this question. I mean, diversity in mentorship relationships is vital on, on all ends of the spectrum, on both sides of a mentorship relationship. We, you know, first of all, not all mentors have to be within the same team in the same organization. It's more likely beneficial for junior talent to have a mentor who can provide them with a fresh perspective, with different years of experience, with different backgrounds. So I think diversity in all ways that we look at diversity from the standpoint of their actual professional background, from the standpoint of ethnicity, in terms of sexual orientation, like looking for people that have a unique perspective that you do not have is absolutely 
going to serve you and your career and your understanding and your ability to make good decisions. You know, it, when you think about the way in which organizations are built and bringing in amazing new ideas, there are a million studies, I'm sure you and I can quote a lot of them, that say having a diverse organization does create stronger success. It only creates stronger success if you create ways in which there you can create true belonging, a true sense of belonging, and true impact. Impact is much larger when you have mentor relationships, when you have reverse mentor relationships, and you're sharing those ideas, and you're actually kind of harnessing the power of this incredible diverse background or incredible skill set within an organization. So um, I think that that is, it is incredibly vital, and it is something that um, I would definitely encourage to actively seek out. Actively seek out, out, you know, here's somebody with a very different perspective, a very different background. You know, I really want to learn about that in the process of, of advancing my own career. I want to make sure that we're, we're making sure to, you know, elevate one another in the process. You mentioned reverse mentorship, and I want to stay on that topic for a little bit. For our listeners who are not aware of the term, reverse mentorship is where younger professionals mentor senior executives. In your opinion, how does that conversation even happen without offending a senior executive, right, from like a younger professional who's who's asking for that? Or does a senior executive have to be the one proactively seeking that reverse mentorship? And how can this be valuable in the corporate world to have this reverse mentorship relationship? I love this question, Ren. That's such a thoughtful way for you to, to frame it. Um, I will answer both of those questions. First of all, from the standpoint of somebody seeking a mentor and offering to reverse mentor, when I mentioned earlier creating the structure and parameters around mentorship, part of that process is, you know, let's say that a junior employee saying, I would really love to sit and talk with you. I'm trying to understand more about what M&A processes look like. I don't understand this, how these acquisitions happen. Would you sit and talk with me about that? And this is what I mean. Um, can we just do one hour a month? I can offer this in return. That phrase of I have this to offer in return is exactly how you offer reverse mentorship without creating a situation where you're saying to somebody, you don't have a pulse on my our 20-something employees, right? That is a way to go about it. This is what I have to offer in return. I would love to share with you, hey, I'm a digital native. I work in a very different area of the business and you know, we have a different, a different workforce and a very different group. I'd love to share that with you in return. So I think that that is the strongest way to just position that up front. You are an expert. You're not in this organization because you're not an expert. You are an expert in the areas that you're an expert at. Like be own that and say, I, I would love to be able to offer this in return. It's also a mutually beneficial relationship. You're not asking for something and not offering something in return. So I think that is a, I've had that, you know, I've done it that way myself. I've had others do that to me. It's a very gracious way to go about it. The other side from an executive perspective, um, I have many times actively sought out. I would really love to understand your perspective on this. It, same thing, been really clear about what I'm asking in terms of reverse mentorship. Can we sit, can we have coffee once a month? I would really love to bounce some things around with you as it pertains to what's going to resonate best with our employees and you know how you're feeling about this situation or there's something happening in the world that specifically impacts you and that I really want to understand your perspective on. You know, it is not your responsibility to educate me on, you know, what you're feeling and, or how you're processing something happening. That said, I would be very open to it and I'd really appreciate it. Give them the absolute opportunity to say, no, I'm not comfortable with that, right? Like you have to give that, that opportunity within the way that you phrase it. But again, I think people approaching anybody 
whether it's somebody that is junior to you in an organization, senior to you in an organization, approaching them with respect of what they are experts at, no matter what that is. I've never had that go wrong. I've never had said to somebody, you're an expert at this and I'd really love to learn it and have them be offended. Not ever. So I think, you know, that's it. coming from a genuine place of respect, no matter whether it's, you know, a mentorship relationship or reverse mentorship is, is the first way to look at it and make sure that you're communicating in that way. I've never, never had anybody, you know, look at that in anything but a positive way. And then how about for women in leadership roles who are trying to navigate and excel in traditionally male dominated industries, which is obviously still majority of industries in the workforce. Are there any specific insights or advice you can offer to them? Maybe women who have not had the privilege of having mentors throughout their career or haven't had a chance to do any of reverse mentorship earlier in their career. Thank you for asking that. I think in most industries, there will come a time if you make it to an executive level where you were the only one in the room, you know, multiply that if you're if the only woman in the room, the only black woman in the room, the only, the only, the only. And so the, the need for mentorship or just connection with other people who have been the only one in the room is incredibly powerful. So I, I look at that and I look at the, the powerful impact of mentors that have also been the only one in the room. Um, it's incredibly powerful. Also, I would say I recently um, was talking with a couple of executive women. One works in beauty space on the brand side. One works in the retail space on the brand side. And all three of us, as we were talking about it, we're all about the same age and it's kind of the similar level in our companies. As we were talking about our mentors, I realized each one of us at some point had said he. Each one of us. And so I stopped and said, oh, tell me about that. Each one of us were able to say at least one of our strongest mentors is a man. And so it, I just want to point that out. We have some phenomenal advocates. And, you know, I look at our own company where our founder is a man and is absolutely uh, the strongest advocate, the strongest champion, the first one to say, hey, you know, so-and-so is an expert at that. Let's bring them in. We might be coming at this from, from a perspective of our own viewpoint or our own bias, bring them in. And so I, I think that that is something really important to note, note as well. Yes, there is make sure that you're, you know, bringing, a, we always say, you know, bringing up another seat at the table. You have a seat at the table. You might be the only one bring up another seat. Absolutely. Um, I think that is responsibility for, for women in executive roles and seek those women out who've done it. I think of, gosh, I've had some um, really amazing women who have been willing to mentor or even advocate for me. And, and a good example is when I was looking to shift into being on boards, it is a very different situation. And, and there is a lot of that is who you know, and not just your resume. And and I was able to sit with, um, with Winnie Park, who has been on many public boards and she was able to say to me, this is exactly what you need to do. This is what it means. Here's how you look at it. Here's how you actually navigate. Who would know that information besides another woman who had navigated it? Um, and it, I found that to be incredibly gracious of her to do that. And I've tried to do the same thing for others. But I just want to point out, yes, it is absolutely true that you should find other people who have been the only one in the room and learn from them. Don't try You don't have to start everything from scratch but to also recognize that you have incredible advocates around you of every gender, of every background, um, and make sure that you, you know, you don't put on blinders to that and that you seek out the expertise where the expertise lives. I agree with you. And I think that's a really good point that you don't just disqualify the opposite gender just because you feel like they're not going to be good mentors or advocates for you. 
um, personally in my career, my biggest mentors, biggest advocates were all men. And, you know, I felt very lucky to have been, in a sense, sponsored by them. So I think it's a really good point that you're making that it doesn't always have to be the person that you see yourself in, but it could also be somebody that you see yourself being an ally with or someone that could advocate for you behind the scenes. Absolutely. Absolutely. For those who don't have a formal mentorship relationship in place, whether that's the product of their companies not having been able to launch it or just they just haven't really thought about it, getting that advice through a mentorship program, what are some ways that emerging leaders can seek help or input of executives as they navigate the corporate world? Yes, I think there is a very specific structure to it. And um, this is something we certainly talk about here a lot at January Digital. We have a um, you know phenomenal team and have the ability to sit with them and say, here's kind of how we see mentorship and here's here's how we would go about this process. And so this has worked really well for us. It's worked really well in my career. I said a little bit about it earlier define the purpose, define the objectives, be clear with that, you know, just from the outset, clarify the purpose of the mentorship, what you're seeking from it, what you have to offer. Um, just again, sometimes um, one of our core values in January Digital is direct but kind. Sometimes being direct is the kind thing to do. And so therefore, great, let's be direct but kind. Let's make sure that we're really clear on what we're actually expecting from this relationship, what the parameters of those are and what we have to offer in return establish a timeline. So, you know, is this a fixed period? Do you just need to have one conversation and you just need help with one thing? Or are you really asking, hey, for six months, could we meet once a month? That would be really great. That's only six meetings at six hours of someone's time over a period of time. Again, that offers them kind of a a time period and a fixed um, way to go about this, I have found that that is more successful rather than just open-ended. So that then at that five-month mark, you can say, does this still work? And Or should we end next month? Another thing I would say is um, writing it down. A lot of times you might have that conversation in a hallway or you might, you know, be on a Zoom and ask somebody to stay after. And can I talk with you after? Have that conversation, follow up in writing. Again, Treat it like you would treat any important meeting in your life. Write it down. Here's what we had. We talked about this. This is what we agreed. Does this all sit well with you? Does this work for you? Just want to make sure that we're clear. And then I think there should always be two factors that happen as you get a relationship going. One is feedback and evaluation. Again, just like you would any more formal um, business relationship. What is that process? How are we going to give each other feedback? Like when you're asking me, for example, I've said, I would really love to learn about X. What does that feedback look like and what format works best for me? You know, hey, do you mind sending me some, you know, sending it to me in writing or will you look at this beforehand? So some of that feedback and evaluation piece and then celebrating achievements, right? Recognize, celebrate achievements. I certainly try to do this when I am serving as a mentor and hey, you came to me, we had this conversation, you've been really working hard on this. I just saw this monumental shift in the way that you're, um, you know, that you're actually having these conversations that we've been discussing. Let's pause and celebrate that. Sometimes it's really hard for a mentee to see the change. So they come to you, they've asked, I'm really trying to evolve this aspect forward, my communication skills, my, um, my finance acumen, whatever those pieces are. It's sometimes hard to see the progress because you're doing it little by little. And so sometimes the person who has the best insight into that is your mentor. Again, especially if they're meeting with you every two weeks, every month, 
they can kind of see these leaps. And so I would just really encourage any mentors to stop and celebrate. Same thing with the mentees, stop and say thank you, express gratitude, celebrate, you know, hey, this, you gave me this feedback, I used it, it worked. It's as simple as that, really. I agree with you 100%. I think it, we are so focused on getting that maybe even constructive feedback that we forget to pause and spend as much time on that constructive as we have on the constructive feedback on actually celebrating the wins and the learnings and the successes, whether that's individually or in one-on-one settings or as a company in general, most companies forget to do that. How much of your leadership style has been shaped by your personal values? Almost all of it, I suppose. I, I think I evolved and understood my personal values more over time. I got rid of the pieces of my own, you know, management style or leadership style that didn't suit my personal values and tried to evolve them forward. I think it's constant evolution of, you know, how you see the world, who you are, how you really want to interact with every, you know, leave every interaction that you have, every person that you interact with. But it is, for me at least, it is deeply personal. Um, it is, you know, the reason, you know, people often ask, I've, I've worked for quite a while on the brand side. I've also worked inside agencies and consultancies like, like here at January Digital. And people will often ask, which side of the business do you like to work on? And my answer is, I like to work in an organization where it's easy to do the right thing. From a basic, ethical, personal values perspective, it should be easy to do the right thing. And so that is why I've chosen to work in an organization like this. We're doing the right thing is, is we're all agreed to. And that's that's a basic premise of, of who we are. And so therefore, you know, my own leadership style, the way in which we train managers, the way in which I you know work with any mentors I have, whether in this organization, mentees I have here or elsewhere, it certainly shapes that significantly. And you've also had the role of a chief people officer in your trajectory. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that's so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly know a few of us who've kind of come up through this path. I think everybody gets goes down their path in, in the way that works for them. I will say um, I certainly started as a marketer, was a communications person and a marketer for a very long time, um, both inside brands and, and in consultancies and agencies. Took on um, the people aspect more from a communication standpoint originally the deep communication that needed to happen, happen. I worked in a um, Silicon Valley based uh, big data company and the, the people element was core to who I am and what I care about, my own personal values. It also is um, an element that, that requires deep communication. And so that's how that originally came about. I started taking on um, HR organizations, people organizations, as well as marketing that evolved over time into being in a role like I am now where I'm the president of the organization. And, and, you know, the people organization lives with me, our marketing organization lives with me, our consulting team, 100% of them are former brand side experts. Um, and so it just makes a lot of sense over time. For me, though, it was, it's not like I sat, set out when I graduated college and said, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. Every opportunity I had stopped self-reflection, what really makes me feel the most fulfilled, the most proud, the most content, I'm going to lean into that. This is what matters to me. People matter to me deeply, uh, whether that's from a consumer behavior perspective on my mark when I have my marketing hat on, or whether that's an employee perspective and the you know, deeply impactful decisions we make for employees and with employees. Um, and so I would lean into that, lean into that, you know. And and also I think the lifelong learning aspect of I often I have found, uh, especially with a lot of people in in my direct network, that network of trusted uh, resources I was talking about earlier. They're people who will lean into the sticky situations. 
Um, the people who go, that over there seems really messy. Let me go solve that. Um, and I have certainly found that's that's how I've ended up down this path. I've said, you know what? I see that over there. I think I could bring this other skill set that I have to solve a new problem. Let me just lean in. And, and that's how I ended up in, in this place. But um, yeah, I've had the the great opportunity and benefit to lead people organizations, you know, clearly to lead marketing organizations. And I think um, then to shift into a more operational um, president role. I love that. And you talked a lot about self-reflection and, and pausing and, and leaning into the experiences to figure out what you wanted to do next and what values you wanted to align your leadership style with. For those of our listeners, um, how do you recommend that up-and-coming leaders determine their personal values and how they want to lead accordingly? Yes. I mean, that's a, it's interesting. I think it's a deeply personal path sometimes, but pausing, actually taking time out to pause. We're heading into a new year. It's a prime time to do this. Taking a step back, determining, like I said, when I am happy, when I am fulfilled, when I'm the most proud of what I'm doing, what are the commonalities? Who's present? What does that look like? What are the outcomes? What am I actually doing? Am I doing a lot of writing? Am I doing a lot of speaking? Is it when I'm deep in a spreadsheet? What actually, you know, I hate to be cheesy, but what brings me joy, right? Like what genuinely brings me joy? And then determining, okay, great. How do, how do I lean into that? How does that fit within my own background and, and my core values? And how does that honor my core values? Okay. Once you have those pieces figured out, I think it becomes a lot easier to align that with the work you do. And, you know, one thing I would say, I've often um, spoken with and, and for groups of college students or, or grad students who maybe came up through something like sports marketing or came up through really love entertainment. I worked in fashion for quite a long time who love fashion and they may not, you know, let's use a sports analogy. They might not, you know, make it to the NFL personally. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of jobs that they could do within that realm, an area that they really love that also that can tap into the things that they find the most valuable. So I love fashion. I love sports. I love entertainment, whatever those pieces that I really just get excited about. What am I, what am I scrolling on Instagram? What am I looking at on TikTok? What do I really care about? You can take your actual core values and who you are from a, when you do that self-reflection, match it up with the things you get super excited about and create an incredible career. And so I, I, you know, I, I think that that's an important element to stop and say, if you, you don't have to go over here on the side or at night or on weekends, I do this thing I'm really passionate about every opportunity you have to lean into that and to make that a part of your day-to-day, um, you know, life and career path is an incredible opportunity to just create a career path that makes you truly happy. I guess outside of that, I would say seek feedback. We sometimes can get in our own bubble. I can say, this is what really matters to me. And this is what I care about. And somebody outside, it could be a family member. It could be a loved one. It could be somebody at work who spends a lot of time with you, but somebody else can often say, I see you at the happiest when fill in the blank. And so it's something that is sometimes hard to recognize in ourselves. You know, you're going about your day and you have, you know, thousands of emotions in any given day. And so sometimes somebody from the outside can say, man, when you were doing this presentation, that's the happiest I've seen you. You were lit up. You were so excited. There's something there. People may not outwardly just say that to you. So I would directly ask them, directly ask, you know, hey, can you give me feedback on this? When when have you seen that, you know, I was making the most impact and that type of thing? Um, so I would just encourage, even though, yes, it is a very personal moment of self-reflection, core values, you know, who you are as a human and your core values are deeply personal. 
sometimes people outside, you know, again, whether that's a family member or a friend or a colleague, sometimes people outside of you can see when you're truly at your best and at your most joyful and at your most powerful. Um, and that's incredible feedback to have. It's at least one of the data points you consider. I love those tips. And I really like the prompt you gave, whether that is saying, I feel the happiest when filling the blank or asking someone close to you, you see me the happiest when fill in the blank. Those are great prompts. Thank you for sharing those. Absolutely. I feel like I want to constantly stop and do that for myself. I wish I did it once a quarter. I can say I at least do it once a year and I have my entire career, but I should probably do it even more often. To wrap up our conversation, I want to ask you one question, and that is, if you were mentoring your younger self now, what is one piece of advice you would give her? I have so many pieces of advice. Uh, I am grateful for my path and glad glad that I got here the way I did. And also, um, the more tactical one is don't skip your finance classes. I was a uh, you know communications PR and PR and communications major. And so therefore, I didn't have to take a lot of the finance classes uh, that I would have had to take and take if I was in a more business oriented program. And um, I will say now, later in my career, when I was in the boardroom and uh, every single person on that board was either a lawyer or a, had a finance background, I realized, and I'm the marketer in the room at the time, I realized very quickly if I could not speak their language, I would lose all credibility. And so I actually on the side, unbeknownst to anybody, paid for it myself, went back and got a bunch of finance training from a local university. So um, that was something I did that I really wish I had done in my undergraduate work. Um, so I always say that to my communication major friends, please take your finance classes. Uh, whether you start your own company, whether you are in the boardroom, there will come a moment and you need to be able to speak to a PNL. So that is a very tactical one. Um, the other one is where we started, Ren. It's self-advocate. You know, it is not, um, I think we're taught to and maybe come from a place of humility and, and feel like, there's something that's bragging or it just feels uncomfortable sometimes, especially if that's just not, you know, the type of communication style you were raised with. And, and so it took me a while to understand how to self-advocate, how that was the most appropriate, what got to the best outcome, especially verbally. I, I've always personally been better at doing it in writing. I can sit and write out, you know, hey, here kind of here's a case. Here's why I believe that, you know, I this should happen. Here's why I want, you know, believe that I should have this opportunity, that type of thing. I have not been as good about it in um, when I'm having a verbal conversation with somebody. Um, and I, that probably comes in a, in a situation where I'm more of a listener than a talker in, in that situation. But um, I had to really learn. I had to really train myself. Okay, this is a moment at which it's fine to stop the conversation and advocate for yourself. Because the reason I say that is um, that, that is not the top priority for me personally right now. But the only way I could advocate for the people around me. The only way I could stop a executive meeting or a board meeting over my career and say, let me actually bring in the right person who has this expertise or somebody says, great job. And you said that was actually so-and-so's work. That wasn't my work. It was somebody on my team. I'll make sure to tell them what a great job they did. If you cannot practice self-advocacy, it is going to be incredibly difficult for you to advocate for others. And so I think that's the biggest piece of speeding along that process. So I was more prepared to advocate for others. Um, I did that more through trial and error and found found the path to get there. And, and I think that would be my biggest piece of advice. Wow. Wonderful advice, both of them. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate your time with us today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. 